switch it. Okay. Why, hello. Welcome to another edition of Deep Space Nine at Nine-ish. We're here talking about Season 3, Episode Number 16, Profit Motive. Uh, this is a Ferengi episode. We are here to talk about everything to do with the rules of acquisition, the new rules of acquisition, and then the rules of acquisition that went away. But we're here to break it all down here um, with a great group of co-hosts. We have my brother. We'll bring him on in. Dave, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Jeff, I heard from my aunt's uh, uh, cousin's friend's friend that uh, you're you're not in contention for a podcast award. But um, you know, who's to say? <laughs> from you know, who? It's, uh, it's really... You know, it's re I really, I think it's what's really worth saying is like, congrats to Dr. Henry Roger, the underdog no one saw coming. Somebody watches this? <laughs> okay, that's right, that's right. without further ado, we'll bring, we'll bring in our last duo, the tag team couple, ding, 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 the Ballards. I don't, <laughs> well, uh, what do you guys think? Do you think I'm a good podcast host? Do you dispute this charge these slanders these liables I, against me i think you're a great podcast host you just have to wait 40 or 50 yeah. years of course of course i i mean it's gonna take some my ear my lobes need to grow that's right <laughs> okay we we got here we got, talking. We got, we got the, the the puffy taco is jamil jeff he's watching from work uh jamil like per bow, we know you're here in spirit, sort of. You're here virtually. Welcome. Uh Dave. Jeff. What do you want to talk about? What do you like? What in this episode? To me, okay, here's my quick breakdown of this episode. It's a, basically a giant metaphor for ca capitalism versus communism. Uh basically the prophets convinced the Nagus to completely reverse his stance on basically Ferengi way of life and the rules of acquisition and cap, you know, gaining capital. Uh, well, Jamil, your awful Jersey isn't even <laughs> um, being worn yeah, right now. Just to acknowledge Jamil's comment. Uh, despite Jeff wearing that awful Jersey is an awesome host, especially when making theme songs. Well, it's a, that there's mixed uh, discourse around. A, I'm a the best theme the song maker in <laughs> the live long podcast community. I will. Well, you're the only one. Really, I, I'm not. Well, that's what makes me the best. <laughs> um, yeah. So that basically, that's what I was saying before. Is that that's my ge uh, general. I think that's the metaphor for this episode. Is that the Nagus basically is convinced of a different way of thinking, and decides to use his influence to maybe change his whole group of people. You know. Uh, you know to you know, basically throw down the old way of life and start a new way of life that is basically the opposite and is all about helping people and, you know, honesty and, you know, don't care about money. Uh, you know, so that's kind of the, the basics of the episode. But Dave, what do you have to say about this episode? It's a very interesting installment in D Space Nine. It's this uh, episode that uh, the A storyline is featured on Quark in his sort of world, but also the B storyline is on Bashir. 
And so, and, and those two storylines are, they have one crossover scene where basically <laughs> she was like, I don't think there's anything wrong with him. And he throws him in a sick bay. So uh, it's kind of a, it's a really interesting episode from it's, it's kind of like if Quark, if Quark's entire world was crumbling, if he had to save the day, this is his hero story. If he was the Cisco or the, he is the Quark now to the Zach, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I love when he goes into the wormhole finally and he's like, huh, what's happening? Oh, I get it. Yeah. The wormhole aliens. It's just like, um, it was just, it was kind of interesting to, to compare that to, uh, you know, like Avery Brooks and Cisco and, and the pilot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, how about you? Uh, the tag team couple. You, you can one of you go at, at first. I don't care. You're you're a double headed monster. Uh, what do you think about this episode? I I generally like the Ferengi episodes. This one uh, this one falls a little flat. The only thing I I really like about it is that the new ways are actually the old, old ways. This is how the Ferengi used to be. So they still build out some Ferengi stuff here in that we we find out that the Ferengi haven't always been obsessed with profit and they weren't, this is not, not the way they, they were in the Before. distant past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they like the Vulcans being being violent in their past right yeah and they evolved and kind of how species um evolve uh loving you're spitting the hot fire kevin over (laughs) over to ashley first takes on this episode i mean this episode happens i feel like (laughs) if if it never happened it wouldn't affect anything on the station yeah it's nothing really happens like it's just some stories that kind of happen in the background it's like we get it's like a almost like a lower decks episode we don't really get the main people like it's just sort of there i like it like i i will never complain about an episode with the negus i like him it's okay. not the best one he's in but okay uh for me the negus not a personal favorite also quark centric episodes are either i find they're bad when they focus on the ferengi i like his episodes more when he has a character to bounce off of like an odo or a wharf or or somebody like that uh these episodes i find they're this is like another remnants to me of the first and the second season where they're still trying to like really convince us of like what the ferengi are who they are we really don't know a lot other than we what we've learned on tng and a couple episodes really uh in this in this series i mean yes we've learned about cork but the ferengi as a whole and the nagus and the, everything that goes with that i don't think they felt they had explained that enough to the general audience dave what do you say to that all right well they more than they ever did on tng like the, they you know the ferengi start off a very, a very different kind of a thing they were kind of supposed to be like an antagonist at first like kind of a, akin to the romulans or another big threat and then they kind of became this joke and then you know they kind of got saved here in d space nine but it was a long process and, and i don't think even in this third season they'd fully done all the work 
you know, every time, a lot of the time when they do a, a Ferengi centered episode or a Quark centered episode, it, you know, let's bring in Wallace Shawn. We're going to bring in Zach, the Grand Nagus. And, you know, and they get, you know, they get Rom in the story and uh, no, no, um, Nog in this case. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, and uh, it's, it's sort of their sub cast or their sub group within this uh, bigger ensemble cast is kind of interesting when they do it. But I prefer the episodes without Wallace Shawn. You know, mostly. I think those actually stand. What above. do you mean? Quark, give me my beetle snuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's literally his voice. <laughs> I'm like, this guy made millions doing this. Like, like oh. yeah. It's it's a hell of a voice. He did it through Princess Bride. He's been in a ton of different things where he, he literally, there's no acting. It's just, well, you know, go be yourself. We'll put some makeup on you. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I like. I I think the, the Ferengi oh, episodes to get do get better as they go along, especially when they bring in Ishka. Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, Ishka, I think they have a lot more yes. fun with than they do the Nagus. Yes. Yeah. I feel like Cork treats the Nagus with too high of a regard for me to take this seriously. It's so silly because of the way the Nagus is and the way he talks. The fact that, and the fact that Quark cares so much about what he thinks and cares about, and Rom doesn't really, he more cares about what Quark thinks. Uh, I find that an interesting dynamic, but at the same time, it gets old. What do you guys think? Well, Rom is, I feel like more Ferengi would treat the Negus like Quark treats him than Rom because Rom is different. Rom is not your usual Ferengi. He's been and this this episode, I like him in this episode a lot because this is sort of the beginning of him becoming the better character that he eventually becomes. Right. But he's uh, still Ferengi, he still he, embezzles. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes, but he's starting to stand up to Quark now, and yeah. In retrospect, yeah, Rom shines a lot in this episode compared from underneath Quark, uh, because he ends up becoming the Grand Nagus by the end of this show, which is so weird. Uh, like because if you you think that all these episodes would set up Quark becoming the successor, but it's not. It's Rom, and which is I don't know, just like a little bit of like um misdirect or you know subverting expectations but it's also kind of interesting here that yeah like rom's the one who ripped him off here in this episode and quark yeah. didn't even think to yeah yeah you know yeah. quark's a traditionalist and rom is kind of a progressive quark is a traditionalist but also not a super fantastic businessman and woodward's giving us the thumbs up and saying he's in. but he thinks he's he is quark he thinks, thinks he is yeah. but he's not right like and... he wouldn't do a good job as the negus um, no, probably not. Even with his Tulaberry wine contract? No. Wow. He, he fucked that up somehow. It's Quark. But would not would Rom make a good Negus? I think Rom if they're looking if if no a traditional Negus, maybe not, but I think he would make a good Negus in bringing the Ferengi beyond what they are now. Yeah, Help he seems like, like a controversial pick. Yes. Seems to have a dark horse candidate uh, to come out. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure the Ferengi public's like barely aware of who Quark is, 
and all of a sudden Rom is is the new Grand Negus by the season seven. Well, Quark tells oh. us that he's modeled his life after the Negus. I mean, so yes, I, I agree that that's the whole joke, Dave. At the end, that Rom gets it and Quark doesn't because they set it up for like six seasons that Quark is the guy that wants this, that needs this. This is his whole purpose. This is what he wants. This is who he is. Rom just wants to have the Bajoran wife and, you know, go fix fix to, them. He wants to get it made. He's like, why don't we all just uh, love and have, like, why don't we, you know, he's, he kind of has a, a good philosophy. But Adam said the Ferengi. Rom, 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 Rom will help continue on the social changes that the Ferengi made over the next few seasons. Whereas if they had picked a, if he had picked a traditional choice, they may have gone backwards. If Quark had gone in, they probably would go backwards in the sh social change that we see eventually. Yeah, maybe it could have led to a uh, civil war or something. Yeah. Um, Seems like it was pretty, pretty drastic reforms he was proposing. Do we want to talk about the Bashir of this episode, there's not a lot. No, that it seems kind of thrown in as filler rather than a, an actual B story. It's not even really a story at all. It's no. basically like, hey, well, Bashir. According to my friend, her for, friend yeah. heard something from his cousin that his wife heard from the council. So that I think you might find interesting about this story, Jeff. Okay, go ahead. There's really nothing. Uh, according to my friend's friend, um, acceptance speech, something. I don't know. Dave, I, according to your friend's friend, I don't know <laughs> if you're the best co-host as a podcaster. I, well, I, I don't asked, know. I asked a very yeah. simple question. I got a. I got a. I don't know what I got back. Well, I, I don't know if you know <laughs> that Rene Aubergenois he directed this uh, episode. <laughs> he did. I know, and that's why that's I think this episode is the way it is. Discovered by Dave. I, I'm not saying that Rene Aubergeois is a bad director, but I don't. I think he wanted to tell one story and not two. And Star Trek episodes um, normally have two ep two stories, and it's all about juggling them. And I think Rene Aubergeois is this his first directing uh, episode? I think it is. I don't think we've noticed him directing before. We've never uh, mentioned it, so no, yeah, we've had Avery. No, Brooks. I know that he's, he has not directed before, so this is his. Did, first he, did time. he direct any after? I I don't actually know because he's. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. They see this and went, you know what? You can't juggle two stories, so I think <laughs> I think, I think we're going to go with Avery on the next one. You know, I think he did direct. Lavar Burns it. coming in. They, he, he probably did. He probably did a few more. Done. He probably did like four of them. I would imagine. But CSA. yeah, uh, yeah. I don't I care mean, about the Carrington. I yeah, I don't care about Bashir whining to yeah, He directed eight. This was the first. I you think. Know, uh, I think. I think they just put that in there, kind of, so everyone could have a turn making fun of him. Yeah, I think. Okay, I do think Rene Aubergenois wanted this episode for two specific reasons. One, it's a quark-centered episode with very little Odo in it, and number two. It has Bashir getting dunked on by everybody pretty much throughout the episode. <laughs> so I think okay. I think Rene Aubergenois was like, "Sign me up." <laughs> Rene Aubergenois directed eight episodes of D Space Nine. This one being the first. The next one was Family Business, which was a Quark-centered episode. The next, again, yeah. the next one was Hippocratic Oath, a Bashir-centered episode. Yeah, okay, Bashir. He likes to, those two people. 
The one after that was the quickening, a Bashir-centered episode. Mm -hmm. Then it was Let He Who Is Without Sin, which was a Bashir and Quark-centered episode, as well as Worf and uh, He likes those two characters. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm spotting a trend. Then the next one was Ferengi Love Songs. Uh, oh. Also, uh, as you can imagine, was featured the Ferengi uh, and uh, Wallace Shawn. Okay. And the last one, Dave? Uh, what was the last one? Sorry. Back to it. Uh, Waltz. Okay. It's Waltz. Waltz. It's like, there's one more. Waltz. And then Strange Bedfellows. Yeah. So. <laughs> Waltz. Waltz is the one with the Waltz is the one with Cisco and uh, Ducat in the cave. That one's a good one. Okay. So that's, that's, a, that, good that, one. that's his one episode where he didn't do Bashir or Quark. <laughs> Which but is pretty that funny. Episode really is just it's Ducat's performance that really yeah. carries that episode. Yeah, and it's also a very centered episode on that story. Yeah, which I do think again Rene Aubergenois likes to do, and uh, not his fault. Uh, One I, I big think... story rather than two. Yeah, stories. and I think when we do this with the Ferengi, I think it's a mistake um, because the Ferengi should be more integrated with the other characters and not be like on an island by themselves with the Negus and Rom sharing all the scenes. Uh, I personally think they made a mistake and they should have integrated them more with the rest of the cast better in these episodes. Uh, because I think like for me, I'm like, I'm not a big Ferengi fan. Like I get it. I understand all the jokes they're telling. I understand all the metaphors, but I'm like, I get it, you know? So it's not for me. Like I want to go back. Acting like I gotta watch Profit Motive, but that's what we did here on Tuesdays Nine <laughs> and Nine ish, and that's why we're breaking it down. Dave, yes, I went, I, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of with you. Like, the, the, the most of the quirk stories are not my favorite stories. Obviously, Rene Aubergenois, even if he was like, this is not an Odo quirk story, he liked being involved. I think he liked yeah. working with uh, Armin Shimmerman, clearly. It's odd to me, even more so, that, um, Alexander Sadig said he didn't really know Rene Aubergenois, but he clearly was directed by him quite a bit. Yes, <laughs> yes, but and they was were a castmate of his for seven years. But they, I and think they, they made a, a had very little to say about Rene, it after he died. Rene... He's, like, he's like, when he when Rene Aubergenois died and they were on the paddle, he's like, I don't know, I kind of knew him. But how about over to you, Nana? <laughs> he kind of threw it over. And he's Nana, like, you knew him better. I'm like, Nana. you pretty knew you knew him. Uh, he only directed episodes with you or Cork in it, so I'm sure you talked to him a few times. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, he didn't seem to, uh, yeah, like, maybe he didn't like him too much, but uh, I well, also I liked, do think uh, that, that he was kind of the Patrick Stewart of the cast. He was kind of the the guy that nobody could warm up to, like, unless it was like a no, like a na na like i don't think most of the other people kind of became like really close with renee aubergeois nah, from what i gather from like all their press and all their posts like what you're referring to dave i think he was kind of like a a, a solo guy that kind of did his thing and and kind well, so of so was like, uh avery brooks i think and too. so was avery brooks but and the rest of them all hang hung out basically right there were apparently there were clicks on the deep space nine set because well, because I watched an interview with Michael Dorn, who was talking about going from uh, TNG, where they literally were hanging out together all day long on set, 
to Deep Space Nine where they do a scene and then all go off to their corners. And he was like, this is weird and I need to change this. Right. Because it was just a totally different thing. Well, I mean, it is a different thing, though, just in premise, because the other show was a ship and the majority of the scenes are shot on like on the bridge for the most part. So all the whole crew's there. Whereas on Deep Space Nine, like how much time do they really spend in ops? I mean, it's very little. Probably I the mean, least. after the first yeah. few seasons, probably the least in ops. Yeah. And I think in ops, it's like that's the bridge, and that's where you know, on a starship, that's where you know, you would put everybody. And rather, show they also have the defiant bridge, right? So it's kind of, and then you, yeah. and for Quark, he doesn't live in either of those places, he's from the bar, yeah. so the bar and the promenade that's why the show Photo is two. different. There's I bet you different most, of the, the, most of the show is probably shot at Quark's bar, yeah, a yeah. lot of it's the promenade, maybe not most of it, but the like larger percentage of. Yeah, that, different that, or that area right outside the of Cork's bar on the promenade. Right. Yeah, for compared sure. to like, how much do they go to? You think like ten forward on the Enterprise and yeah. um, and, and 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 they have a similar dynamic, but there's no engineering uh, for the station. So we yeah, they never that. show where like the power is really on Deep Space Nine. They show you kind of like there's these ore processing things, and they all lead to this one place where there's a big energy core that powers the whole station is basically what they explain but they never show us that and they never show us o'brien working on it whatsoever <laughs> uh, so. working on power stuff or anything trying to fix stuff he's in like the he's in like the internal parts of the yeah station they're not that, i guess they're not called jeffrey's tubes what are they called on yeah, jeffrey's tubes and, and that or he's getting hit on in said jeffrey's tubes by cardassian women but that is neither uh, here nor there, because uh, that here was last there. step. You know, yeah, last week's episode. Which Jeff? Actually, I have. Yes. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the Bashir storyline is actually my preferred part of this episode. Uh, I think it's stronger than the Quark storyline, and I, I especially like the scene with O'Brien and Bashir playing darts in the cargo bay. Yeah. Why are they playing in the cargo bay? Not explained. No, but no one knows. No one knows. It doesn't matter. But they are. Um, of course, Bashir is either missing on purpose or not, because he's been nominated for this award. He's the youngest guy ever. It's supposed to be like a lifetime achievement award, and he's been nominated at the age of presumably like thirty or whatever he is at this point, right? So he's way out of his league to win this award. But O'Brien's like, ah, but the smart money is that you're not going to win. Um, yeah. And he's kind of he's 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 kind of like uh, he would have to be the biggest idiot in the world to not know he's coming off as a dick to a Bashir. But he was doing it on purpose, right? Well, yeah, he was, yeah, just he was like, trying to get him to miss. Yeah. And and the thing is, Bashir, this is what proved to me that Bashir doesn't care whether or not he wins or loses at darts. All he cares about is that O'Brien listens to him bitch about some award he didn't get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But is I he a worthy that, recipient of the Carrington? The thing I, the thing I found with this, the thing I found interesting was the way Alice, Alexander Siddig played it, knowing who Bashir is, like what his storyline becomes later on. The way he played it actually fits in really well with what's with him being like superhuman, basically, because he seemed worried. 
Yeah, there's a lot of like little clues. Like, oh my god, I'm the youngest one to be nominated for this thing. What if what if I get found out? The way it was the way it was played. I agree. And he's not like you you could you know, if this is we're presuming this is true, uh, because we don't know it yet on the show, but um, right. maybe you know Alexander Siddig was given a heads up and he was like hey maybe use this in your performances or um, it, just, it just managed to flow like it just happened yeah. to work out it was coincidence but watching it knowing his storyline it was an interesting watch but also still vain as shit because at the end of course he's he like yeah so I'm upset. not handling yeah. it well yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's like I couldn't get top in my class on purpose, and now I don't get this award. Yeah, I'm not a tennis star either. I'm not a tennis star either, and and I keep losing at darts. (laughs) Yeah, a thing I could easily beat Miles at, you know, if I closed my eyes. Yeah, you know, he's losing at darts. Uh, yeah. Well, I often like the Bashir B stories. I, I usually enjoy Alexander Siddig as a performer. I think he really carries the scene. Well, I see why he was uh, considered for the role of Cisco because he, he really does carry a scene. Well, and carry a story. Well, in this, there's too much going on with the Ferengi and there's like literally just, it's basically Bashir and bitching and playing darts and, crying to Dax and like that's really what's going on with Bashir in this episode it's good I guess to get to know Bashir a little bit better because we really don't know him as well as we know the other characters yeah so I guess that's why they do it in the episodes like this I think they did this on like TNG too it's like oh who do we not know enough about inevitably it was always Jordy. so they were like (laughs) (laughs) I mean Bashir is the Jordy of Deep Space Nothing (laughs) He is. So right to it. Was always Jordy. It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. If we have like a, or Alexander, he's got or some, some if he uh, if he practices in the hollow suites or holodeck. It's, uh... <laughs> we don't really know enough about Jordy. Where are you from, Jordy? Who are your parents? What's going on? <laughs> it's not funny. Leak. I'm not detecting any leak. Yeah. Cool <laughs> it, leak. Go, go, go. <laughs> go, go, go. Hey, we got a cool little leak in the engine war. Jordy LaForge, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Hey, fellas. I love that in that episode. I got to play them. Hey, fellas. What's going on here? <laughs> hey, I didn't come here to give you weapons. Yeah. Hey. You want me to fix this? I'll fix it. But you gotta let me go, fellas. Uh, that's a, this is how much this episode yes. is not All right. grabbing my attention enough because I want to talk about Jordy LaForge. All the other things, yeah. All the other things. Um, Quark, the fact that, uh, what was it? The Bashir was the Jordy LaForge of this yes, show? Yes, I agree. Actually, I... We, I Dare I say it? We learned way more about Julian Bashir than we ever did about Jordy LaForge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jordy LaForge got like four movies. DS9 got no movies. That's <laughs> true. Jordy's blind. That's all we ever learn about him. Jordy's blind. He went to Zeph from Cochran High School. And he's not oh, detecting right. any leaks. His mom was a Starfleet captain. And he's not detecting any leaks. <laughs> yeah. He's not... 
he's yeah, he was uh, his Mars or something, wasn't he? He was born in uh, the African Republic or something. Yeah, African in, Republic. Uh, yeah. He lived his on dad, Mars. Maybe his dad was a, his dad was a zoologist, a Starfleet zoologist. That never comes up. He never goes, "Hey, my dad was a zoologist, so I know all about this." You know. <laughs> that be interesting. But we learn a lot about how much you know Cisco knows about making food in Jambalaya. <laughs> yeah, Jambalaya. Jambalaya. O'Brien can play the cello. Yeah. It doesn't usually it's not usually useful and kayak. In situations. He can kayak. Yeah, he yeah, loves the kayak. kayak. Yes. And play, play darts, darts and, and troll Bashir. Yes. Yeah. Everybody, this episode though, everyone loves to troll Bashir. That's not just uh, an O'Brien. Just O'Brien's better at it than anyone else. O'Brien just knows. Yeah, he hangs out with him mostly. <laughs> He's like, I can't take this guy anymore. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put him down. <laughs> um, I impressed myself on that one actually. Did you? He, he rips on him like a best friend. That's just the male relationship. Yeah, no, they are. They basically like the whole. I love how the show explained the relationship. Basically, they hated each other. They went and got drunk, and they sang some songs, and now they're best friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Bashir annoyed him until he became his friend. Right, and he tried to tell Kira that if I know you enough, you'll be my best friend. And he was right in real life, not 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 on the show. Yeah, but in real life, yeah. Uh. I don't know where else to go. Where else should we go with this? You know, I, what about the scene when they're trying to figure out the book? I like this scene. Okay, the book. Okay, the book where they're 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 reading the rules new the new rules the of new acquisition book. with Zek, and we get well, yeah. He starts basically. It's the whole idea that the current rules of acquisition are filled with greed and you know basically basic evil you know and they need to reverse this uh and it basically breaks quark's mind rom seems to like it but he's like he knows quark's not gonna like it yeah dave dave what do you think yes. about this new rule of acquisition the first rule being if they want their money back give it to them well it's like bizarro world right <laughs> supposed to be like ludicrous to the Ferengi. It's supposed to be like these like never place profit before friendship. They're like, what the hell is this? This is this Latin tarnishes, but families forever. Isn't that the, the opposite? Yeah, I love all those lines. The yeah, opposite? it's the exact opposite. It's yeah. basically from going from capitalism to communism. Uh, and I don't know. It's a great metaphor, but they don't really pull it off that well in this episode, in my opinion. They really should have. Uh, they really should have evolved on that whole idea of what yeah. he, Zach was trying to do and the Negus was trying to do. Well, and does really, Quark, does Quark actually make a good argument to those prophets, or do they just get annoyed with him and send him back? That's exactly what happens, Dave. They get annoyed with him. <laughs> he basically says, "Look, if you don't." Just give me what I want. I'm going to make sure every Ferengi comes and bothers you here in the wormhole. And they're like, okay, we don't like you. So and they're like, need... yeah, talking tires us out. So bye. Yeah, so <laughs> bye. And you go make your money. We don't really give a shit that much they're, of a shit. They're fickle, those prophets. I got to tell yeah. you. They are fickle. Yeah. They don't really see. Yeah. They don't really they see. They know what's much. coming. It's fine. They do. They do. Do they know about the. The destiny, the three vipers, and the comet. And did they know? 
they already know because it happened already. It already happened. Yeah, they they knew before it happened, and they knew after. They're like they're like the uh, you know in the Matrix. They're agents. They know. They know. What do what do what do we think of Mayhardu in this episode? Mayhardu as played by Tiny Ron. Not a fan. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't get this guy. Why is this guy always always here? Whenever there's a Ferengi episode, this guy shows up, and I'm always like, why? Why does he need to be there? Like, what is going on? Your home of Deep Space Nine. He's the lurch of Deep Space Nine. And this, I, I, watching this, he's supposed to add some comic relief, but it, it doesn't land. It doesn't eh? land yeah. Maybe it doesn't yeah. date well. Maybe people in the 90s were really yucking it up. You, you know, but I don't think so. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, I never like, I don't like these kinds of characters generally. No, There's I'm not a big fan of Mr. Holm either. Yeah. They just, why? He, yeah, he is the Mr. Holm of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Uh, I don't like him. I never have. Uh, don't really understand what he has to do with the Ferengi and why he's there. He just, again, he's supposed to be comic relief, like Kevin said. And yeah, they, just, they don't land. The jokes don't land very well. Like, every now and then, you might giggle, like, a little bit, but yeah, I mean, his, like, sobbing in I the corner know. is just annoying. And Yeah, yeah tough to watch. Tough to watch. That's, yeah. You know. I don't connect with him as a character at any point. No, his, not at all. His no. mimes. He's like a French mime. I'm over. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's no, like, no, yeah. I'm not, I don't, I don't come here for mimes, okay? That's what I have to say. Who's better, Mr. Home or him? I'll take Lurch. Well, Lurch at home. least talk. Yeah, Home <laughs> has the, like, ding. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have a ding. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a bell. No. No, he, he just gets to talk when he was being impersonated by a. I didn't like that the wormhole alien spoke as him, as his voice. Yeah, that was weird. Well, yeah. Because um, then I now know now I know what he sounds like. Okay, what do we think about the Odo Bashir scene where they're sitting down at the? I think it's like the the promenade where he usually sits with Garrick, but instead it's Odo. Which is odd, by the way. These two never seem to ever sit down and talk about anything. So for the fact that they're doing this again, it's like the other episode with, with Odo and Cisco. It's like these two don't hang out and talk. What's yeah. going on? Well, yeah. Odo was just coming over to mess with him. Look at Odo's body language. Yeah. He doesn't cross his hands. Who is this person? This is the obligatory. <laughs> I'm directing this episode, but I'm also in this episode scene. That's right. Yeah, that's why he's crossing the hands. <laughs> Yeah, but this I don't is, know. I didn't really get this, this this scene. Like these two, I don't think work well in this scene together. I just it felt yeah. oddly placed. Well, I didn't like Odo it. is like, are you what? Well, if you don't think you're going to win, why are you working on your acceptance speech? You didn't see that. I guess I wasn't paying uh, attention to this scene because I don't even remember this scene, and I literally just watched this episode like three hours ago. Well. 
you didn't miss much. They didn't miss much. They talked what? about like some sort of Federation Medical Council and a friend there. And according to this friend, that she might have heard something. That's not a great point. That his wife heard from the council member that they might have thought you might have found this inter- interesting. Does this sound like they were trying to fill? Yeah. Things. yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they, well, they needed a scene with Odo in to just establish that he was, in fact, on the station. That's right. Uh, to let us know that question. everybody's life is still in danger. Yeah, they're still, yes, that's right. Someone could still get shot. <laughs> Dave, what's your question? Wait, can we get to the fun facts? Well, we can. I mean, yeah, do we? Because I think ready? I need something Are you in this ready episode for to cheer me up. Fun facts. It's a double F with Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the fun facts theme song needs to be a little more fun. No, that's fun. I'm laughing. <laughs> Dave's face is fun. It brings, fun. It, brings, fun. it brings laughter and joy. What more do you want? Oh. <laughs> so much joy. Oh, too much. Heldor joy. Okay. Oh. Um, Gotta get to the fun facts. One sec. What's going on here? Ready for some fun facts? Double F. Yeah. Okay. Profit motive. Okay. Directed by Rene Aubergenois. We have uh, Michael Pillar, uh, Rick Berman, Gene Roddenberry. You know, you know all the the main cast. Uh, okay, fun facts. This is the first episode to be directed by Rene Aubergenois. We already mentioned that, but it's a fun fact. And we're gonna verify it's been confirmed. Been confirmed. <laughs> to recreate the same visual for facts style confirmers. For, to recreate the, the same visual style for cork scenes in the wormhole as had been seen in the pilot episode of Emissary, director Rene Aubergenois and director of photography. Jonathan West went back to the original shooting method as developed by emissary director David Carson and then director of photography Marvin Rush. As uh, as had Rush in the pilot, West overexposed the images and used diffusion uh, filters to create the dazzling white which seems to bleed onto the actors' faces. However, while wormhole footage visual effects coordinator David Takamura used two versions of every shot, a slightly out-of-focus version, and a clean version. He layered the clean version on top of the out-of-focus version to create an effect that is not quite out-of-focus, but is not quite in-focus correctly either. Okay. Deal with that. Fun fact. It's fun is not the word, but... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fact. It's pretty fun. Okay. This is the only episode where... My Hardu speaks. However, it is only when My Hardu is a representation of a prophet. Um, really, My Hardu didn't speak at all. It's all bullshit. But if he did, they... that's what he would sound like. Maybe. We don't know. Maybe that's what the prophet thought he sounded like. We don't know. Undetermined. Uh, the original, the origins of the plot line involved Bashir, Bashir's nomination for the Carantine Award are to be found in real life, with the plot actually being something of an in-joke. During its seventh year, The Next Generation was nominated for Best Dramatic uh, Series at the Emmy Awards. Nobody gave it the slightest chance to win because, generally speaking, 
science fiction shows didn't win awards like that. Everyone expected NYPD Blue uh, to win that year. However, despite the unlikely event of a victory, some members of the TNG team being convinced that they were actually going to win. uh, As it turned out, they didn't. But neither did NYPD Blue. Instead, the award went to the uh, unexpected Picket Fences. Take that, NYPD Blue. You lose two. All the Picket Fences wins it all. Picket fences, yeah. Okay. Meek shall inherit the earth. That's the motto of that story. Yeah, yeah. And the camel can't go through the eye of a needle. This is the first episode where the wormhole aliens refer to Cisco as the Cisco. Oh, really? but they also call it, they talk about the Zach. Yeah. Um, Would you want to be the Jeff or do you want to be the Mater? I don't want to be either. Okay. Okay. I'll be the man. Uh, you, yeah, you, I'm sure you will. Uh, uh, Dave, reference yeah. number 10, rule of acquisition. Do you remember what it was? Rule 10? Uh, greed is dead. Greed is eternal. Close. It's easy to get them mixed up. Pro- <laughs> Profit Motive is the first Star Trek episode to mention Andorra, the homeworld of the Andorian species. They've never mentioned Andorra before. And even, isn't Andorians from like the original series? Yeah. Yeah, but they're not in the original series much. They're in a few episodes, so I guess they never mentioned Andorra. The original series didn't really establish a lot of backstory of aliens. They were like, Kirk Kirk needs to kiss some women and punch some guys in the face. So we don't have time for that. When I was the Andorian ambassador the other day, I was like, we are a violent race, but what do we gain from attacking Captain Kirk? They don't even really start to build up the Klingons till the movies, really. Yeah, and I don't... Yeah. Like Kronos and all that. Not until the movies. Yeah. This this is the first on-screen appearance of O'Brien and Bashir's much-used dartboard. Why it's in the cargo bay, nobody knows, and nobody ever will know. Because they haven't asked Quark to put it in the bar yet. Because Quark is busy dealing with that. And they're embarrassed by their gameplay, and they don't want to be in front of people yet. Bashir is embarrassed. He knows he could do much better. A scene will come where they ask Quark to put it in the bar. Is there a scene where they do that? Yes. He wouldn't want anybody to see him lose at darts and lose the Carrington in one day. That's right. Oh, no. that, that would maybe break his spirit forever. Okay. One <laughs> of the nominees on for purpose. the Carrington one of the nominees for the Carrington Award is Henri Rajet of the Central Hospital of Altair Four. This is a clear wink to the classic science fiction movie Forbidden Planet from nineteen fifty six. What one of the influences of the original Star Trek in Forbidden Planet, Earth Cruiser C-57-D lands on Altair 4. Henry Roger. Henri Roger. Okay. The, the origins of the telepay for this episode are to be found in Iris Stephen Bear's early career. When he was trying to make it in Hollywood, he wrote a telepay for the TV show Taxi, entitled Uncle Sylvester, to try and demonstrate his writing abilities. The plot revolved around Sylvester, uncle to the main character, Louis. 
Sylvester had built up a reputation for being a shameless womanizer and an altogether unpleasant individual, and he was Louis's hero. Louis was dying to meet him to impress him with his own womanizing abilities, but when Sylvester arrives, he no longer enjoys womanizing and now just wants to get back with his wife. Louis is heartbroken and became, becomes convinced that Sylvester had undergone some kind of deep psychological trauma. The teleplay was not purchased by the producers of Taxi. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I didn't know Iris Stephen Bear was writing for a show like Taxi. I thought that show was much older than him. Uh, okay. William N. Stape, who concocted the TNG episode Homeward, was an uncredited story source for this episode. Uh, William uh, Stape, you say? Yes. Besides Benjamin Sisko, Quark is the only non-emissary main character of the show's main cast to successively make contact with the Bajoran prophets and live to tell the tale. Did you know that that Stape, the person you just mentioned, he has in 2015 he published his first Star Trek book, which was called Star Trek Sex, analyzing the most sexually charged episodes of the original series. So all of them. Yeah, so all of them. <laughs> um, this, this takes place in 2371. Bashir is the youngest of the candidates for the Carrington Prize of 2371. The others are April Wade, Senva, Henri Roger, and Guy Petrel. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Quirk remarks that an empty bottle found in Rom's quarters had contained Aldebaran, how do you say it? Aldebaran. 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 Aldebaran whiskey from his private stock. Uh, in, in Star Trek The Next Generation's Relic, Scotty receives a bottle of Aldebaran whiskey from Data in 10-4. Aldebaran. <laughs> Aldebaran. Uh, Aldebaran. He, he later learned <laughs> was given to Guinan or Guinan. Well, we know. <laughs> yes, what likes to drink. I have so. to do that episode so Jeff can say Aldebaran. Aldebaran, he has to be Scotty. <laughs> I don't like Aldebaran. <laughs> uh, okay, and uh, last two. For a brief time, a new set of rules of acquisition replaces the old ones. Some of the new rules are, number one, if they want their money back, give it to them. Number 10, greed is dead. Number 21, never place profit before friendship. Number 22, latinum tarnishes, but family is forever. Number 23, money can never replace dignity. And number 285, sorry, a good deed is its own reward. Uh, You're not going to like it. Finally, when the wormhole alien in the form of Cisco says that Zek was trying to find out who the game before the game begins, who wins the game before the game begins. It, it is a reference to the pilot episode of Deep Space Nine Emissary, where Cisco teaches the aliens about linear time by using the game, the example of the baseball game. Right. And that is it for double F a Jeff. Okay. I hope you're ready for all the fun facts. <laughs> Oh, we need With an it. outro now. 
with Aldebaran whiskey. Well, I think it's it's. Well, we need like no, no, it's Aldebaran. I think we're all gonna say an Aldebaran now. No, it's not Aldebaran. Oh, so. Let's talk about the ratings. Time for some ratings with Dave. Here we go. All right, Jeff. Ah, are you ready for some ratings with Jeff? I give this a six point two. Give this a three and a half. Uh, Jamil, if you're around anywhere in the world, uh, send uh, send us a rating. But he has not so far. Ashley, four, three. Average is at a four point two. Um, this has a. I don't even like it as much. Can I change my score? Yes. I'm gonna make it a five. <laughs> Meal, yeah, again, if you want to help bring this up, it's now at 3.9. This is now bottom feeder episode territory. It is, it, it, it is a bottom feeder episode. Uh, let's just the only at... part I really, really like about this is when he licks the book and then goes, Now nah, that isn't it. And then Bashir, like... and, Bashir and, and O'Brien playing darts. And that was okay. But it's like two minutes or three minutes. Like, the, there's a lot of Nagus. There's a lot of. Cork and Rom and it's like just... it's fine. I don't think it's the worst episode. No. But Look, it's... our last our last three bad episodes um were directed by Rene Bergenois, Jonathan Frakes, and Avery Brooks. So yeah. just think about that. Think Wait till they get LeVar Burden on the show, and then the show will start to take yeah. you know pick up steam. Yeah, he does good up he does some good episodes. Yeah, him and uh Rene Echeverria. Yeah, get some Rene Echeverria in here. Anyway, that's yeah. the ratings. And next week, Jeff, we have Visionary coming. Uh, what's that, Is that? Let me guess. It's a Bajoran episode. No, it's a O'Brien episode. Oh, what's he doing? He's, Suffering. He's <laughs> going. He's having visions of going back in time and going ahead in time and stuff. And there's Romulans or something. Oh, this oh is... yeah, I remember is this. Is this the one where the O'Brien we end up with isn't the real O'Brien? No. Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's like O'Brien, like eight seconds different. It's like O'Brien from six hours ago. Yes. 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 Yeah, yes. yeah. 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 No, okay. I thought you were talking about the one where he's got the clone. Mm -mm. No, where where no. it's Blade Runner. No. no, I mean where the rest of the O'Brien, like O'Brien for the rest of the series, is not the original O'Brien. Like the like how Harry Kim's replaced by the duplicate yes. Harry, right? Yeah, Kim. Did I get? Did that come through? Did what come through? The duplicate Harry. Kim? How oh, I said yeah. like he's like the duplicate yeah. of Harry yeah. Kim. Yep. Oh, good. We got it. Okay, we got it, Dave. Don't worry. <laughs> Two times now, even. <laughs> Two times we got it and here on these days, nine and nine ish. We don't so let we, anything slip past so us. Which one is the original now? We don't know, it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> as long as he believes that Keiko is the most wonderful woman in the universe and he loves his parents. And he loves his parents, he loved his parents as if they're dead. <laughs> I loved my parents. I have to create a new board. Uh... I love okay. my parents. Yeah, you love them. Are they dead? I don't believe they were dead at the time. Maybe. Maybe he believed he was dead. He was like, I'm going to Cardassian prison. I love them, but now I don't because 
I have to be this. I have to suffer. I'm Miles O'Brien and I suffer. I go to Cardassian prisons. I go to different sand prisons. I, I, I figure out a way to get into prison some way, <laughs> somehow. You, Kira, you want to go to prison? I'll go to prison with you. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of what he does. You and just he's like, pretend right. to be a prostitute and we'll get in. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to go try and, um, you know, arrest some Irish syndicate guys? Oh my God, I hate you, that episode. You might go to prison. I can't wait until you talk about that episode. <laughs> uh, well, Dave. Oh, Dave's gone. See, yeah. all right, this is the perfect time to ask. Dave, what do we have coming up here on Live Long <laughs> Podcast and all of our um, Super Made Bros podcasting establishments? Uh, oh, you don't say. That's great, Dave. We'll <laughs> let all the, the people watching the show today know where to find all the shows here on Live Like a Podcast and Super Mater Bros Podcasting. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> you can't find out until he's back. Yeah, he has to turn it off. <laughs> he has to turn it off, but he doesn't know that I didn't just do it. <laughs> there's, there's Wednesday night, there's Saturday night, there's Sunday. There's all sorts of stuff. There's, there's the Ted Trek tomorrow. There's the radio theater. You know, no big deal. You know, Steve Shives. We got him on. Just, uh, just subscribe. You'll get a notification. Yeah, yeah subscribe. Hit the bell. It's a, you it's know, a PNG episode on Saturday. Some You'll be one of few. One of the OGs of Live Long and Podcast. You want to get in on this. This is a one-time offer of subscribing to us and getting unlimited content every week that you may or may not want. But we're going to give it to you anyway because that's what we do here on Live Long and Podcast. Dave seems to be gone, but we can't turn... Oh, yeah, we can't turn this off until I guess he comes back. (laughs) So I guess we're done, but we're not. <laughs> if our friends subscribe, we can promise to do absolutely nothing for them. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. Tell all your friends about Live Along a Podcast and especially Deep Six Nine Nine. You don't really need to know about the other shows because this one is the one you want to watch. It's Tuesdays at nine ish. And uh you want to come on to and just join us. You know, watch the random episode. You know, we tell you here the Tuesday before. Go watch visionary or whatever the hell it was uh see you know i think it's season three episode 17 so go do that come back next week tuesday and you know type in the comments the puffy taco will be waiting adam woodward uh there's many others um but that's really what you want to do i'll be in the comments next week tag team couple do you guys anything anything to say about what's going on here at Deep Space Nine Nine ish and the empire we are building here. It's great, I guess. <laughs> it's oh, good. Dave's back. Yeah. Or is he? I'm making my return on Sunday to Trivial Debates. Yes, Trivial Debates. We didn't even mention Trivial Debates. Time. Jody is uh, hosting. We have Jamil, Adam, and Kevin competing. That's right. Dave, we've already done all the plugs, all the, uh, right. you know, we, we, we got her done. So Saturday night, I make my return as William T. Riker. Yeah, William T. Riker. You got the Ashes coming back. Gisborne. I know. I saw that. Dave, everything's been plugged. Nothing, is, nothing needed from you. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have to turn it off. <laughs> we've been stuck. Yeah, we've been stuck kind of just, you know. Yeah, here it is. <laughs> yeah, we oh, got Jeff, we got, we got a thing coming up. Oh, I get to play I get to play LaForge playing a mandolin. Yeah. How do you beat that? Yes. Who you are. I get to smash it. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> Yeah, we got some interesting things going on here. So uh, check that out Saturday night. And then also we have uh, on Trivial Debates this Sunday, Jeff. Yeah, we were talking about it. Yep. <laughs> we played well, I wasn't it. here. Yeah, well, I mean, Susie lose. So for all of us here at DC Stand Nice, join us next week. Remember, watch Visionary or whatever it is, season three, episode seventeen. We'll be talking all about it. O'Brien, is it the real O'Brien? Who knows? Come back next week. Live long and podcast. Oh, thank you.